The reading today is in Hebrews 2, uh, verse 10 through 18. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, and bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Um, yeah, do get do uh, introduce yourself and, and say hi to Emily and Nathan. I know they'd love to meet everyone, and, and like God willing, they're going to be here for a long, long time. So, um, yes, they're part of us now. Um, we've been in this series in Hebrews for, uh, I think it's our fourth week now, So um, and we're finishing chapter two. I mean, really, it, yeah, it, this is really a book about how uh, the supremacy of Jesus. That's why we've called our series Jesus Better, that Jesus is better than, than anything, else, anything else in life that we might put our hope in. He, he's bigger than all of our worries. He's, he's bigger than all of our hopes. He's, he's better than all of our joys. Uh, and, and really, we've, we've seen that, and I'll, I'll probably keep saying this every week, that um, if we can just throw that first slide up there, that Hebrews is designed to leave us with no doubt whatsoever that Jesus Christ is ultimately and completely superior to everything that came before him, and so we should push deeper into relationship with him and not fall away from him, and not fall away from him. That's kind of what this book is about, that Jesus is better than anything else that we find our hope in. Um, And that's kind of what we're continuing with uh, this week. Uh, I was thinking about this week about things that we take for granted in life. Um, and often w- when the things that we take for granted are the things that are most important to us, aren't they? I don't know if you knew this. So even um, uh, this morning I came downstairs and I turned on the tap and got a drink of clean cold water out of it. And you just take that for granted, don't you? But that's a miracle. That's an actual miracle. But you just take that for granted that you turn on the tap and you're going to have clean water. And then that's not the case for an awful lot of people in the world. Even people on the island of Ireland, that's not even, uh, that's not even something that they have. Um, and then we take our friendships for granted, don't we? we you, you know, you just, it's amazing that these people, your friends, just love you and support you and care for you, even in very practical ways and generous ways sometimes. And you just, you just take that for granted. Uh, I even was saying to Haley this week that I take our marriage for granted. Absolutely do. You just, it's this amazing thing that we have and you just kind of, it's just taken along there in the background that doesn't, sometimes it loses its meaning or you just don't, you just don't, you aren't as thankful for it as you really should be. And most of the, and this is what struck me, it's most of the time the things that we take for granted are the things that are most important to us and the things that are most vital for us. We just assume that they're always going to be there 
and that they'll, they'll never leave us. And it's those things that we're least grateful for when probably those are the things we should be most grateful for. And I think, probably you would agree too, I hope, that this is true when it comes to our salvation. When it comes uh, to, we, we know that, that when it comes to what Jesus has done for us, we know that we've been saved by the work of Jesus dying on the cross for us and then being raised from the dead. We all know that. It's the core of who we are. It's the core of what we believe. We would literally be lost without this. And not just the message of it, we'd be, lost, we'd be lost if Jesus hadn't actually lived and died and been buried and rose again and ascended to heaven. It's essential and vital for us. And yet, sometimes it just fades into the background. It's just ticking along there in the background. We don't really think about it or consider it too much. We take the gospel for granted. We take that saving work of Jesus for granted all the time. In fact, I think for Christians, we assume we're not taking it for granted because a lot of us, most of us are, are good Christians who, you know what I mean when I say that, who, who oh, we want to figure out how to live for Jesus and we want to be living Christian lives. Um, and so we're so busy focusing on that that we for, forget how miraculous and how amazing it is that actually God himself, God the Son, took on human flesh and became one of us and lived as one of us and died for us. We just take that for granted. And what, 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 what this means is that we, just, that, that we just forget about it. It just kind of becomes nothing. It should blow us away every day, but yet it probably doesn't. And if you've been a Christian for a while, especially I think if you grew up in the church, um, we just take that for granted. But have you, have you ever stopped to consider why it had to happen this way? Like why, why, is, it that, why is it that God himself had to become a human being? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why is it that God, the maker of, of the universe, right? The, the person who has no, the one who has no beginnings and no end, the one who spoke planets and galaxies and trees and mountains into being, he spoke life into being. That, why is it that he had to take on human form and become one of us? Why did salvation have to be this way? Why did God the Son have to be conceived as, as, a, as, a, as a little baby in a womb and be born and grow into an adult and live a human life and, and die a human death? Why did God stoop to our level? And this is the, the focus of our passage this morning. Now, we need to remember, we'll, we'll kind of take a wee step back just to remember what's going on here. So, so the message of Hebrews is given to people who have been born as Jews um, and then had heard the message of Jesus and had, had believed in Jesus and they had converted from Judaism to Christianity. But because they were Christians, uh, life was a bit more difficult for them now. They were facing opposition and persecution. So things like their families and friends were pressuring them. Uh, they would have disapproved of them for sure. They probably would have even shunned them. Um, they would have missed out in all the festival times then. So uh, because they were no longer part of that community, uh, you know, it'd be like us not being able to celebrate Christmas with our, with our family. They would have been disowned. And probably even in society as well, that, that people wouldn't have wanted done business with them. So they wouldn't have been able to buy property or, 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 or sell property or, or things like that. Believing in Jesus for these people had put them at a real um, disadvantage in the world. And so understandably, I think, some of these Christians, were these Jewish Christians, were, they were tempted just to pack it all in. They were, they were tempted to give up on their Christian faith and just go back to the old ways, go back to that old religion they had grown up in. And we saw this last week. 
especially when we got to the end of our passage last week, that, that, that we as Christians face this same temptation all the time. We've been promised this future uh, of, 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 of reigning and ruling with Jesus, but we, haven't, we, we don't yet live in the full reality of that. We don't yet see that all around us. Uh, we look around the world and these promises aren't fulfilled. Um, chapter 2, verse 8 says that, that at present we do not yet see everything in subjection to Jesus. And so we can be tempted to pack it all in, give up, give in. But what our passage this morning is telling us is that there's something about the humanity of Jesus that, that is a source of help and encouragement to us. There's something about the fact that God the Son took on human form and became one of us that we need to be reminded of, especially when we're tempted to give up on Him, especially when we're tempted to pack it all in. We, it's, it's in those times that we need to not lose sight of the fact that God the Son became the man Jesus. God uh, is fully, or Jesus is fully God and fully human. And that, this passage is telling us, is our, is our greatest hope. So why is that? Why does it matter that Jesus is fully human? Why does it matter that God became a human being? Why did it have to happen that way? Well, listen to verse 10 of our passage that Emily read for us. It says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Did you catch that? So this is what Jesus came to do, bringing many sons to glory. Now, just for a second, let me pause there. Because when it says bringing many sons to glory, that does not in any way exclude women. It's not all just about men. We have to, we have to remember that the Bible was written at, at, in specific times to specific audiences. And at this time in the ancient world, um, it was sons who held the positions of, of honor in the family. And, and uh, unlike today, uh, uh, daughters wouldn't really have been able to inher inherit much. It was the son that inherited all the wealth and status of the family. And so when the author of Hebrews says sons here, it's, it's a way of saying that all God's people in Jesus have the same position of honor that a son would have had in a family in the ancient world. So all of us, male and female, we can, we're all God's children and we all receive the inheritance. We all have that position of honor that a son would have had in an ancient family. And so here's a way we can read this, this, this verse that, that maybe makes more sense to us in a modern context. That, that when we read this, I can read this, we can all read this as, Jesus brings me to glory as an honored child of God who will receive his inheritance. That's really what it's saying here. And this is what Jesus, God the Son, came to earth to do, to bring us, his children, into glory. He came down to bring us up. He entered suffering to bring us into glory. So when we're tempted to give up and drift away from him, this is what we need to remember, this one thing, that Jesus is our help because he came down to bring us up. Jesus is our help because he came down to bring us up. That's the main thing that we need, well, I want us to take away this morning that Jesus became one of us to bring us into his glory. And so in suffering and in temptation, we don't let go of the suffering Savior. See, if you're a Christian, then you're on a journey towards glory, right? If you're saved and walking with Jesus, you're actually walking in a direction. You're walking towards glory. We often talk about following Jesus, don't we? That's, in our, I think, in our church family, 
that's a pretty common way for us to talk about uh, being a Christian, that we're followers of Jesus. And I like that. I love that. And I think here's one of the reasons why I like that. Because if we're following Jesus, then we're following him towards glory. Isn't that lovely? We're not just following him around the world or something, or like as we walk around earth. It's like we're actually following him towards glory. We're on a journey towards being with Jesus in his glory, in the new creation, reigning over everything with him. That's our destination. We're following Jesus towards that destination. Now, that destination isn't guaranteed by anything we can achieve. It's not any success we can get for ourselves. Because think about this. Even if life for you goes as well as you can probably imagine, um, what's the most you can achieve on your own efforts? The most things that you could probably control. I was thinking about this, and probably the, the most that I can do on my own efforts, if I decided to leave the church and, and just achieve as much as I could, is probably a big house and lots of money. It's fairly conceivable that if I worked hard enough, I could achieve those things, right? But, but even, in all, that's, even in all those things, I can't guarantee that I would have a, a partner in life or children or a legacy even if I'm the richest man in the world, those things are outside of my control. That's about the best that human efforts can get us. There's plenty of money. But the, but the destination that we have is sharing uh, in the glory of God, not because of what we can do or we can achieve, but because of what Jesus has done. This is our first point this morning. Jesus is our perfect pioneer. He's our perfect pioneer. What does this mean? Well, let, let me read verse 10 again, because this is where it really all starts. It says, for it was fitting, that means it's completely in line with the character and nature of God, okay, that he, that is God, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make perfect, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. That is, that, that he should make Jesus, the founder of our salvation, perfect through suffering. Now, the word founder here... Um, Sometimes it's translated in other English Bibles as author, um, but, but really what this word in Greek is, it can mean a lot of things, and, and founder and author are, are there as well, uh, but really it has this more complete sense of like a captain or a pioneer. Pioneer is the best one I, I think of. So, so imagine, uh, a, imagine a group of people climbing a mountain. Now, I don't know anything about climbing, so if you do know about climbing, forgive me, um, but so the pioneer, she's the one who goes up the mountain first, and she's finding the foot, the footholds, put your hand, the, uh, the, the, the footholds and the handholds, she's finding the wee cracks in the rock to put those wee, you know, the wee hooks in, don't know what they're called, but they put those wee hooks in, put the ropes in, and then she's the one that shows people the way and helps people up. That's what a pioneer does. A pioneer is someone who goes first, makes the way, and then brings others with them. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He's our pioneer. He's gone before us. He's walked the path to glory through the suffering of the cross. And not only that, he's made the way for us to follow him into glory. And not only that, he actually leads us and brings us with him into glory. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Because when we, we, we talk, when we talk about um, following Jesus, uh, most of the time we don't really have a destination in mind, do we? Oh, I'm following Jesus. That means I'm kind to my neighbors and I, I, I give to the poor and, and, and I share the gospel. I'm following Jesus, you know. But we forget about the destination. The point of following Jesus is that we have a destination and the destination is glory. 
He's our captain. He's our pioneer. Um, a while ago, I used, to, I used to run these things called night rides, which are cycles around Belfast. And um, I would be the guy in the front kind of leading everyone. But I had every, literally every time I had no idea where I was going. It was like, oh, that, there's a street. Let's go down there. Oh, turn left. Oh, yeah, we'll go there. And we'd just ride around for a while. It was aimless. It was pointless. And if we're honest, most of the time, that's what we think about following Jesus. I'm following Jesus in this world. But that's not what Jesus has in mind. He's our captain. He's our pioneer. And he is leading us on this journey to glory. He's taken us there with him. He came down to bring us up. And he is our perfect pioneer. It was fitting that God should make our pioneer perfect through suffering. Now, hold on a second. You're saying, well, how can Jesus be made perfect? Wasn't he always perfect? Of course he was always perfect. God the Son has always been perfect. But but what this means is that by taking on human form and and living a human life and suffering as a human being and and doing all these things, Jesus proved himself to be a worthy Savior. You see, in eternity past, he was always a, a perfectly obedient son, right? He was always perfect in his obedience. Uh, but he had, never, he had never proved his obedience. He had never directly shown his obedience in that until he, he came and obeyed the Father's will. He was always the Savior, but he had never saved anyone. So it's a bit like this. It's a bit like a, a bud and a flower. So the bud is perfect. You look at the little bud... You cannot say that's not perfect. It is, it, is, it is perfect in its being. But then as the bud blooms into the flower and blossoms into the flower, you see the bud come into all its fullness. Be, be, its, perfect is, its perfectness is displayed. And by saying that the flower is perfect does not take anything away from the perfection of the bud. That's what happened here. By taking on human form and suffering as a human being, God the Son completed the work that was always His to do. He became the perfected Savior. He became the perfect pioneer. He has perfectly made a way to bring us into His glory, and He leads us on this journey. And so He's bringing us up into His glory with Him. He's the one who's made the way and goes before us. He's the one who finds the footholds and, 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 the, and, the, and the handholds. And he's the one who's put the ropes in. He's the one who lifts us up. See, Jesus came not just to become humanity, but to transform humanity. He came from glory to bring us into glory. He came down to bring us up. We're following Jesus. Yes, we want to keep using that term. But that, we're following Jesus to a destination. So the next time you use that word, I'm I'm following Jesus. Remember, that's what you're doing. You're following Jesus to a destination, and the destination is glory. And not only is he our perfect pioneer, he's also our flesh and blood. Jesus is our flesh and blood. And this is is incredible. Um, Sometimes I think we get a wee bit uncomfortable if we think about Jesus as a man, as a human being, right? Because Honestly, we want the superhero kind of God, you know, the kind of God who can't get hurt, the kind of God that's invincible. And that's how often, that's how most of the time we think about God, isn't it? Um, and there's this mistake that we can make when it comes to thinking about Jesus. We can, firstly, we can say that, that Jesus is only God, right? That, that he's like some kind of superhuman. That yes, Jesus was God on earth, but he wasn't really human. I mean, come on. 
He, he, you know, he wasn't really human. He had supernatural abilities. He wasn't a real human being. Or the other mistake is that we can think that, that Jesus was, was only a man. Yes, he was a, a great man. Yes, he pioneered our faith. Yes, he was a good teacher. But he was still just a man. And neither of those versions of Jesus can save us. Jesus had to become human. He had to take on flesh. He had to enter our suffering. It's the only way that we could be saved. Verses 14 and 15 tell us this. Um, it says, um, since therefore, sorry, where are we? Since therefore, the children, that's us, share in, in flesh and blood. We are all flesh and blood, right? Yesterday I drilled into my finger. I definitely were flesh and blood. I've got blood on my trainers this morning. Uh, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He has that same blood and flesh that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He became flesh and blood to defeat the devil who's been holding us in slavery through our fear of death, right? Let me explain what that means. It means that because we are flesh and blood, Jesus became flesh and blood. And I want us to grasp this completely this morning. Jesus is fully human. Fully human, right? Here's some of the things the Bible tells us about Jesus' humanity. Um, and I'm not going to give you all the scripture references, but you can go and look them up. Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He wept. He sighed. He groaned. He got angry. And he got overwhelmed. Any of those things sound familiar? We get hungry. We only said we get hangry. Some people get hangry. He got thirsty. We weep. We get overwhelmed. We sigh. We groan. I'm sure he came in stinking a B.O. after a long day on the road out in the sun, right? I'm sure he got headaches. I'm sure he got splinters in his hands when he was working in his dad's carpenter shop. He, uh, Jesus, is fully human. God took on human flesh and became one of us. God the Son became the man Jesus. You see, he came down to bring us up. He, he enters suffering to bring us into glory. He came from glory to lead us into glory. And we want the superhero God, don't we? But Jesus isn't like Superman. And, and this is a mistake we often make. We think that sometimes that what Jesus has done for us is a bit like Superman entering a burning building to, to rescue the child, right? Superman's invincible. He can't be burned up by the flames. He can't be hurt by the flames. It doesn't cost Superman anything to rescue the child. And that's not what it was like for Jesus. Jesus actually died. He entered into our suffering. Listen, Jesus, the human man, died. He entered into death. Earlier on, chapter 1, we read that he tasted death for everyone. A human man lost his life. A human man was whipped and beaten. And you better believe that he bled and felt the pain of that. A human man wore a crown of thorns. A human man had his side stabbed with a spear. A human man was kneeled to a cross. A human man died. He wasn't immune to death. Jesus entered death fully. The breath left his lungs. The life left his body. The, the, the synapses in his brain stopped 
firing, dead. It wasn't a trick. It wasn't a, a metaphor. It wasn't like, oh, Jesus, it was like he died. He kind of fainted or something. God the Son, the maker of heaven and earth, as a human man, suffered and died. And we want the superhero God, but what we have is way better. And let me tell you why. Because all Superman can do is save you from the burning building, right? And then he just, uh, he like, back to, back to normal life. He can't make us like himself, but that's what Jesus does for us. Jesus takes on our human flesh, and because he's fully human and fully God, he can then make us like himself. He is leading us on this path towards glory. And here's the other amazing thing about this. The Superman kind of God, the superhero, can, can, can never fully understand us, right? The Superman doesn't know what it's like to be fully human. He doesn't feel pain. But Jesus does. God knows what it's like to be human. And therefore, he can be fully on our side. Fully for us. Listen to, how, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says here. Uh, he's trying to just show how much uh, Jesus is for us and on our side. He, says, he quotes his Old Testament passage. He says in verse uh, 11, For he who sanctifies, uh, that's God, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, all have one source, humanity. We're all human beings. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And sisters, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I, I and the children God has given me. Jesus is identifying with us. And he quotes these Old Testament passages that were, were foretelling what Jesus would say. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. He's not ashamed of us. He delights to identify with us. And he's in, a, he's in our midst. He's in the midst of the congregation. Jesus throws his lot completely in with us, right? Whatever's going to happen to them, that's going to happen to me. Even if that means dying. And not only that, he stands in our midst as one of us and he sings praises to God. He tells us of the name of God. He's, he's, he ministers to us. God is for us, and Jesus proves that. In fact, he was so much for us that he became one of us and died as one of us and died for us, even though becoming one of us was, a, was an infinite step down for him. Imagine, imagine, being, imagine being the one who literally spoke the universe into being. That's what Jesus did. Go back and read Genesis. And then going to the cupboard and, and not being able to find any food and having to go and buy food. Imagine that. Imagine being the one who, who spoke something as wonderful as, 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 as the human body in all its intricacies. He spoke that into being and then having to learn how to make a chair out of wood. I mean, I mean, do you understand how degrading this was? Do you understand the infinite step down? He had nothing to gain and everything to lose by becoming us. And he did it so he could bring us into glory. He's our perfect pioneer and he's our flesh and blood. And this is where it all comes together. He is our help. Jesus is our help. Listen to what verse 18 says. Um, Actually, I'm going to read 17 and 18. 
Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Propitiation is the word the Bible uses to, to mean that he paid for our sin, that he paid for the debt of our sin. That's all that word means. That the wrong has been done and propitiation is just when you put that wrong right. The price has been paid for it. That's what Jesus has done. Verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus became a human being not so that he might, not so that he might live the life we should have lived and die the death that we should have died, but also so that he might help us when we're being tempted. That's what was happening here to these Hebrews. They were, they were having the hard times and they were being oppressed and persecuted and they were tempted to just let it go. It looks so tempting because my, 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 all my family and friends are over there and they're all together having a great time, enjoying one another and they're enjoying whatever festival, they're enjoying Passover together and, and they get to, to live peaceably in this city and I don't because I follow Jesus and all, I, can't, I can't see how this makes sense to me right now. I might just give it all up. But Jesus is our help. Jesus helps us when we are tempted. Jesus didn't just die for us and then leave us to it. He's put us on this path to glory. And he stays with us on the path. He helps us on our way. And the amazing thing is that because Jesus faced temptation and suffering, he knows exactly what it's like for us. Exactly. You don't think Jesus ever got down? The Bible tells us he got down plenty of times. He sees, he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps because he sees how far away people are from God. He goes to, he goes to the grave where his friend is buried and, and he weeps because of what sin has done in tearing a family apart through death. Can, can you hear this this morning? Jesus knows what you're going through. I think this is one of the most one of the most incredible parts of the, of, of the whole Bible story, that, that Jesus knows what you're going through. And he is for you and he is with you. He knows how lonely it can be. He knows what it is to have your friends abandon you. He knows what it is to be afraid and to feel weak. He knows what it is to be abused and rejected by others. Jesus knows, and we forget that all the time because we just think God is some kind of superhero that has rescued us from the burning building and left us to it. But that's not true. Jesus knows what we're going through. And so we know that we can trust him, right? We're following him, and we're following him on this path to glory. Uh, I love verse 17 because it says that, that he is both merciful and faithful as a high priest in serving God. Uh, so not only did he die to make payment for our sin, like I said, but he also provides us with strength and empathy, with encouragement, with power. So that when we're, tempt, we're tempted to, 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 to leave him and drift away and pack it all in, we can, we can actually say no. We can say no to, to our own temptation, to the world, to the flesh, to the devil. We know that when we're tempted to pack it all in, we can say no. We can hold on. So I want to look at like five, five ways from this passage how Jesus helps us. Because we need help, don't we? Uh, firstly, uh, Jesus helps us by removing our fear. He removes our fear. How often do you feel afraid? 
Uh, there's nothing that stops us living for Jesus more than fear, right? I can, I can think of specific times in my life where I've had the opportunity to share the gospel and I've said nothing out of fear. Out of fear. I've even known, I've felt it so strongly that the Holy Spirit is just saying, this is your chance to say something. You need to say something here. And I've said nothing out of fear. Fear of what people think of me. Fear of uh, they'll reject me or think I'm weird or um, whatever. And I'm sure you can relate to that. Maybe you've even been in a situation where you're fearful that somebody would find out you're a Christian. And so you, you maybe hide it. Or maybe you don't quite hide it, but you just hope that it won't come up in conversation. Like, please don't ask me, like, what I, like, this is me. Please don't ask me what I do for a living. Because then I have to say, well, I'm a pastor in the church. And then like, oh, I'm sure we've all felt that. Fear, like, cripples us. It paralyzes us. And it all stems from our fear of death. It's this fear that we're born with because of our sinful nature. Imagine perfect humanity being born without the fear of death. And before Jesus comes into our lives, our greatest fear is death. In fact, our fear of death is a thing that enslaves us. It says here this lifelong slavery. But Hebrews tells us that Jesus has destroyed the one who has the power of death. And so we no longer live under this reign of death. We're no longer slaves to fear. Death has been defeated. Romans 8 uh, tells us that, that we've received, uh, we haven't received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we can cry, Abba, Father. We've been adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. And so we're no longer slaves because we are God's honored children. Just like we saw, bringing many sons and daughters to glory, bringing many honored children to glory. That's who we are as Christians. And so let's not go on living with fear. When you're tempted to give up, when you're tempted to hide your faith, when you're tempted to not speak out, when you're tempted to just drift away, remember that Jesus has, has, has dealt with our fear. There's nothing that anyone can do to us that will have any permanent effect on us. Think about that. Jesus actually said that himself. He says, don't, don't fear the ones who can kill the body, but, but actually fear God who you can actually destroy your soul. Let's not live in fear because we are in Jesus and we are on a path to glory and our destination is secure. So our fear is gone because Jesus came down to bring us up. Secondly, Jesus helps us by showing us mercy. If, let me get a wee drink. If death is the fear of the future, then guilt is the fear of the past. If death is the fear of the future, then I think guilt is the fear of the past. Um, and, and Jesus, in his mercy, has dealt with both of these things, right? Because Jesus, uh, one of us, our flesh and blood, our brother, he, he did all that so that he could become our merciful and faithful priest. And the main way that he's done that is through his once and for all sacrifice on the cross uh, to pay the debt of our sin. But there's an ongoing aspect to this as well. You see, Jesus is on our side, right? Jesus is our brother. Jesus stands in heaven right now, by the way, in human form, still bearing the scars, of the cross. We know that because when he was risen from the dead and he appeared to the disciples, like I mentioned at the start, that, that they were able to actually see the scars on his body. And he stands in human form. He didn't give up his humanity when he ascended to heaven. He kept that. Jesus stands in heaven and he is delighted to proclaim that he is your brother. He stands in heaven looking like us now, right? Probably a little less white than most of us. Probably a wee bit more 
Middle Eastern looking, with the scars. And he says, you see him? He's my brother. You see her? She's my sister. I'm delighted in him. I'm not ashamed of her. And listen, uh, I know, uh, you see that sense of failure that a lot of us carry? That failure? Ah, yeah, yeah it, I don't even want to give example. It's demoralizing, isn't it? I'm such a failure. It's demoralizing. It's paralyzing. But listen to this. Hear this. This is the truth. Jesus is able to tempt you when you're, Jesus, no, Jesus is able to help you when you're tempted. Because this is what he declares to you. Clearly and unmistakably that because of his work, he declares to you, your sins are forgiven. You are not guilty. You, you feel like a failure. You feel like you're guilty. You know what Jesus says in heaven before the heavenly host today? He says, you are not guilty. You are not a failure. You're not a sum of your fear, failures any longer. So don't let your, your feelings of guilt and failure hold, your back, hold you back because you are forgiven. Because Jesus has come down to bring you up. Thirdly then, Jesus helps us by proving his faithfulness. Um, he's not only that merciful uh, high priest who, who forgives our sins and, and declares us to be guiltless and not a failure, but he proves his faithfulness to us. He proved it in his death, and he keeps on proving it. Uh, this is another passage from Romans 8, and it says, Who will condemn us? Right? Who then will condemn us? The answer is, no one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Jesus stands in heaven, in human form, still with those scars, and he is pleading for you. So that means that when you're tempted, you can ask him for help, and he helps you. He is literally in heaven on your behalf, still on your behalf. He's always available. He's never caught off guard. He's never inadequate. He's never asleep. He's faithful. And he declares to us, his brothers and sisters, that, that he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Imagine that. I will never leave you or forsake you. Even if you feel like I'm on my own right now and everyone around me hates Jesus, what am I doing? Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's still with you. He's faithful. So let's not give up. Let's not be tempted to drift away. Let's stay faithful to him because he is always faithful to us. He came down to bring us up. Fourthly then, I'm nearly done. We've only got a couple more. This one and the next one. He helps us by sharing in our suffering. And we've already seen that, that Jesus, he didn't live some like detached life, you know. Um, he didn't even live a privileged life, by the way. He wasn't rich. He, he didn't have luxury. He didn't have influence. Um, he didn't have servants. He didn't have money. Jesus didn't even have a home. He, he, did, he actually wore borrowed clothes. Did you know that? The Bible tells us that. The foxes of holes, the Son of Man hasn't got anywhere to lay his head. He suffered. He was rejected by the popular people. He always found himself on the outside of things. He was despised and hated by everyone. And there was nothing in the world that, that would make us think there was anything special about him. And this is our Jesus. He's, all, he's always with us and he knows. He knows because he's been there. And listen, 
when we're in hard times, when we're rejected, when we're oppressed, when people listen, when people go, I can't believe you believe in that stuff. Or even worse, I don't even want to know you anymore because you believe in that stuff. Then we can come to Jesus because he knows. <laughs> we can come to Jesus in our, like, this is the crazy thing, that, 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 that in our, we can be comfortable in our rejection of people because we're saved by the one who was rejected by people. Does that make sense? In our suffering, we come to that suffering Savior. He is our help. And, and it's not just some emotional help, right? We don't just go to Jesus for a shoulder to cry on or a listening ear. Although he is those things, and he's a very good listening ear. But we come to Jesus in our suffering and in our temptation, and he can actually help us. Actually help. Some people try to explain. Yeah, I'll take 30 seconds to this. Some people actually will just say, yeah, prayer is really good and cathartic because it's like, you know, it's a bit like therapy. You just talk all your problems out. There is a part of that I agree with, that, that yes, we do, that Jesus does listen. That helps us. But Jesus actually helps us, right? He guides us in how to respond to certain situations. He, he, he leads us in how to react to temptation and suffering. He leads us. Remember, we are followers of Jesus. And where is he leading us to? Where are we following him to? Glory. He helps us. So let's not pack it all in. Let's not drift away. Come to Jesus because he knows. He came down to bring us up. Finally then, he helps us by giving us strength. Uh, Jesus has promised to help us. And he's promised to support us no matter what comes our way. Um, listen, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, like literally all the power that evil could muster, everything that the devil had to offer was thrown at Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. And what did Jesus do? He submitted to it. He took it. And he died. Um, but that wasn't the end for him. That, by the way, that would be the end for us, wouldn't it? We'd be destroyed forever. But that wasn't the end for him. Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus walked out of a tomb. And he proved that evil has no power over him. That evil is subject to him. And so when we're up against it, when we've reached the end of our tether, when we've got nothing left, it's that Jesus comes to us with the promise that, that as our perfect pioneer, as our flesh and blood, as our brother, that he has made a way to glory and he will bring us there. As long as the journey lasts, he will sustain us with his strength. And here's the amazing thing. In Jesus, we won't fail to reach the finish line. In Jesus, he will bring us to the finish line. He's promised that he won't let us fail. Now, most of you are in situations every day where you're the only Christian around, right? I think that's probably most of us. Most of you. As a minister, I spend a lot of time with Christians. But most of you are in situations every day where you're, you're the only Christian about. Maybe you have one or two other colleagues here of Christians. But most of the time, you spend, you spend all, you spend, you're in situations where Jesus isn't worshipped, where his values are old-fashioned or are outdated or, or probably even seen as harmful. Um, most of you are in situations every day where Jesus is just a swear word. And it's easy in those situations for disillusionment, for uh, frustration, for doubt and fear and loneliness to just creep in. It's easy to be tempted to drift away. But listen, hear this, please. This is what I want us to take away. The one who endured the greatest suffering, the, the most that, that the evil had to offer, 
the one who was cut off from God, Jesus, he was victorious and he is able and willing to help you. He can help you when you're tempted to give up. He says, I will never leave you. He's able to do far more than you can even think to ask. He can help you when you're tempted to give up. He will never leave you. So when you're suffering, when you're in temptation, when you want to pack it all in, when you want to think it would be so much easier if I just went along with my friends or whatever, don't drift away. Just turn to Jesus because he's actually there with us all the time. He's this perfect pioneer. He's our flesh and blood. He, he, he's here to help. I, I, honestly, I feel like I could talk about this all day, um, but I need to finish. So let me say this. Um, Jesus came from glory to lead us into glory. That's what following Jesus means. We're following him on the path to glory. He defeated the source of our fear. He continually shows us mercy. He's continually faithful to, to, faithful to us. He shares in our suffering and he gives us strength. So just be encouraged. Like, Don't live as slaves to fear anymore. We've been set free, right? God himself has come to bring us into his glory. And we're on, on that path to glory. And he will lead us home. He won't let us fail. In him we cannot fail. Jesus came from glory to bring us into glory. He came down to bring us up. Um, let, me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, when we think about these things, uh, sometimes it boggles our mind a wee bit that you, fully God, took on human form so that you could identify as one of us, so you could suffer as one of us. Passage tells us that you literally came to die. The only reason you came as one of us was to suffer as one of us. Uh, Lord, help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to forget about that. Help us not forget the reasons why you had to die. Heavenly Father, I pray that all of us would be encouraged this week, be strengthened, to, to not have fear, to walk in boldness. Lord, help us to uh, ponder on that mystery of your incarnation, of your becoming a human being, and help us to uh, have strength and endurance. We face whatever it is, whatever life looks for us, like, like for us this week. Jesus, we need your help. Thank you that it's always there. Amen.